Welcome to another session of Explore the Bible series. This is Larry Bertrand. We begin our first lesson in the book of Jonah, the prophet Jonah, scheduled for October 2nd, 2022. We'll look at two lessons out of Jonah. So in today's lesson, we'll see how believers who run from God are unable to escape his discipline. Key verse is Jonah chapter 2, verse 2. He said, the Lord said, in my distress, or Jonah said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you answered and you listened to my cry. So as we look at Jonah chapter uh, 1, verses 15 all the way to chapter 2, verse 10, kind of crossing over a chapter, we'll focus on both the narrative of Jonah and the character of God. We'll reflect on the futility of running from God, which is what Jonah did. Uh, maybe thinking about a time as we look at this lesson when you were less than completely obedient in following God. You knew God wanted you to do a certain thing, to respond a certain way, and you were unwilling to follow him. Well, more than likely, you remember the name Joe Lewis Barrow, uh, better known as Joe Lewis, a famous fighter, heavyweight boxing champion. He held a title from 1937 to 1949. He has the longest reign of any boxer in history. And so on June 20th, 1946, the New York Times quoted him as saying, he can run, but he cannot hide. And it's a reference Joe Lewis was making to one of his opponents who thought by staying away from him uh, in the ring, uh, he couldn't get knocked out. But nonetheless, the opponent was found, and Joe Lewis did knock him out. So Jonah clearly wanted to hide from God and avoid doing what God was asking him to do. We will discover how successful his plan was as we examine Jonah chapter 1 and 2. Looking at the background of um, these two chapters, uh, the context for the beginning of the book of Jonah is best understood if you'll go back and look at 2 Kings chapter 14, verses 23 to 27. And it was a time when the northern kingdom of Israel was wicked and was led by King Jeroboam II, a king who did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Nevertheless, God mercifully gave Israel victory over their enemies. He saw how bitter their affliction was, and God had compassion on them, even though they had not repented of their rebellion against him. Jonah was a prophet who revealed God's mercy and compassion for his 
wicked people. So the book of Jonah begins with a similar mandate from God to Jonah. Uh, God told Jonah to go preach to another wicked people, the people of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was one of three Assyrian administrative cities. The Assyrians were uh, renowned for their brutality. And for more than 50 years, they had been bitterly oppressive in their dealing with Israel. Therefore, when God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, he boarded a boat and fled to Tarshish. He was going in the opposite direction of Nineveh. Nevertheless, God caused a tumultuous storm, threatening the lives of everyone on the vessel. Well, we're going to see what happens in Jonah's life as a result. So uh, moving forward, Jonah, Jonah recognized the sovereignty of God, but he still tried to run from something he didn't want to do. He was found and discovered there was no running from God. So we look at the first section, Jonah chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. Here, we're going to hear the results of Jonah's disobedience. Verse 15. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea calmed. At the, at the time, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. What an amazing story. We've heard this many times. Even our children have heard the story. So looking at 15 and 16, following the prophet's instructions, uh, the sailors threw Jonah into the raging sea, and it became calm. This showed them the reality and power of the God of Israel. They stood in awe. In other words, they feared the Lord. He had done what their gods could not do. These, uh, these uh, non-religious sailors could not calm the sea. They're, they prayed to their gods, but nothing happened. So the sudden, the sudden calm was an answer to the sailors' prayers. And so in verse 5, we see the calm also revealed that the storm had resulted from Jonah's disobedience and that an innocent life had not been snuffed out in causing and casting him overboard. Utterly amazed at the sudden calm, these sailors offered a sacrifice in praise to the Lord. And they praised or they, they, they promised or made vows, if you will, uh, to continue their praise to the God of Jonah. Again, the sailors are seen in contrast with the former passenger, with Jonah. 
Whereas Jonah was disobedient to God, they were worshiping God and praising him. Jonah prayed to God while inside the fish, and he cried out and he cried out expecting God to hear him. Jonah expressed his dire circumstances, realizing that his only hope was to turn to God. So we look at Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 for our next section. And here we're going to see Jonah's prayer or Jonah's plea, if you will. So from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me from deep in the realm of the dead. I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled about me. All the waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. So Jonah did what all people should do when we find ourselves in a difficult situation. He prayed. Jonah's willingness to pray, even when under the disciplinary hand of God reveals his faith. Uh, Though the text doesn't indicate it, uh, at at what point he started in this three-day journey that he began to pray, one might imagine, I would, that it was immediately, the minute he was hurled into the sea and the fish swallowed him up, he's praying, God help me. He prays after he realized he, he was not going to die in the water. So as we look at some of the commentary readings on this section, verses 1 through 4, we see a summary of his experience found in verses 1 and 2. So after noting the place, he's inside the fish, where he voiced the prayer, Jonah uh, poetically recounted the story of his deliverance. Though the sailors had sacrificed to the Lord, he was in a special sense, uh, he was in a special sense Jonah's God. So when the sailors cast him overboard, In distress, he prayed to the Lord and answered with a miraculous provision. What's the provision? God gave this giant fish, huge fish. The phrase, from the depths of the grave, refers to the fear of death that gripped the prophet. It does not mean that he actually died. God listened to his cry and helped and went to his rescue. So we see a description of Jonah's experience in verses three and following. Uh, Here, the prophet recorded he was 
he was in a watery horror, obviously a scary situation, and he experienced God's gracious deliverance. So in verse 3, though the sailors had thrown him into the sea, actually God was the one that hurled him into the deep. It was God's desire that he be there. And that is, he was behind the action of being thrown into the sea. And as the currents of the Mediterranean swirled about him, Jonah, about Jonah, he knew that God controls the the waves and the breakers. In verse 4, it says, banished by God because of his sin of disobedience, the prophet evidenced repentance and renewed faith and he expressed confidence in approaching God. I will look again, he says, toward your holy temple. So that phrase, holy temple, it it may be the Jerusalem temple or perhaps more likely God's heavenly abode. Uh, We see a reference of that in Psalm 11, verse 4. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is is on his heavenly throne. He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. And so the prophet said his prayers rose to God in his temple, whether it be a literal temple or heavenly temple. Uh, he, his prayers uh, approach God. So why do we tend to turn to God so quickly when facing a challenge or threat? I think it's because we know God is the only one that can help. And so Jonah continued to share his direness of his circum- the direness of his circumstances. He offered. Praise to God for his salvation. He pointed to the uselessness of idols and he committed to fulfill his vow to God. So we see in the final section, Jonah chapter 2, verses 5 through 10, more expressions. We see expressions of faith and repentance. So in Jonah, Verse 5, it says, the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath barred me me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought me brought my life up from the pit. So when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Verse 8 says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. 
I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Verse 10, and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah on, onto dry land. Well, consider how Jonah's response changed to thanksgiving for God's provision and a willingness to obey God's direction. So looking at the Bible knowledge commentaries, verses 5 and 6, we see in his peril, the waters threatened to take his life uh, and the sea surrounded him, uh, ocean vegetation. He says the seaweed was wrapped <laughs> about his head. I'm sure that had to be a really frightening moment. It was almost as though he was imprisoned by his watery grave, if you will. In the sea, he says, I sank to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth was about to entrap him permanently. This is the prophet's description of his plunge into what appeared to be a watery grave. But we see in verse 6, at the point of Jonah's hopelessness and utter despair, God used the fish to lift the prophet up from the pit. The synonym here is grave. Because God had saved his life, the repentant prophet confessed to the Lord that the Lord was his God, sensing that he was about to die by drowning and that his life was ebbing away. What does he do? He turns to God. He prays to him, prays for deliverance, since he refers to God as being on the holy temple. So in the grave, gravest perils of the prophet, the prophet prayed, and his petitions rose to heaven to be answered more, most uniquely. So we see the thanksgiving of Jonah in verses 8 and 9, the statement concerning the, the folly of trusting worthless idols provides a, a dark background against which God's brilliant grace is evident. No life, no lifeless idol could effect so great a deliverance as a God of heaven uh, who made the sea, who made the dry land, and in contrast with those who trusted weak idols for deliverance, Jonah offered a sacrifice of praise to the true God who effected such a wondrous provision. Also, he vowed to obey the Lord because salvation or deliverance comes from the Lord. Deliverance from perilous situations is a provision from a gracious God. So in verse 10, after the deliverance of Jonah from the watery grave, the Lord commanded the fish to deposit the prophet safely on dry land, presumably uh, 
on the coast of Palestine after the three-day journey. And so we see here seven miracles take place uh, in this short narrative. Number one, God caused a violent storm. He, just, he made that happen. That's, that was a miracle. God, he had... He had the lot when they when the soldiers or the sailors cast lots to see who 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 was the cause of this storm. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. God made that happen. God calmed the sea when Jonah was thrown overboard. That's a, another miracle. Uh, he commanded the fish to swallow Jonah. Another miracle. God had the fish trans, transport him to safety. That's a miracle. And had the fish throw Jonah up on dry land. And finally, and perhaps the greatest of all miracles, he melted the disobedient prophet's heart. And it's evidenced by his thanksgiving prayer we see here in chapter 2. So what does the delivering of Jonah reveal to us about God? Let's look at the New Testament, 1 John chapter 1, verses 7, 8, and 9. It says, but if we walk in light as he is in light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' his Son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This explains that those whom God has accepted in Christ and sanctified by his spirit will never be out of the reach of his grace, but will persevere to the end. Jonah's prayer contains an irony that focuses the entire book. Jonah's, Jonah was ready to receive God's grace in the face of his own disobedience, but he later would be unhappy that God was willing to extend that same grace to the people of Nineveh who were willing to turn from their sin and to seek after the Lord. We'll see some more about that in the next lesson. The applications for today are a person's faith is measured by the actions taken in response to God. Another application, God hears our prayers no matter how desperate the situation. And finally, believers can trust God in the direst of circumstances. God will provide. So let's thank the Lord for his great compassion and mercy, even in our disobedience. So we close with a 
a wonderful hymn, Trust and Obey. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. While we do His good will, He abides with us still, and with all who will trust and obey. And then the refrain, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Lord, thank you that you call us to a life of obedience, a life of repentance, a life that will, through all things, trust you and obey you. Thank you for this lesson from the prophet Jonah. We pray your guidance in Jesus' name. Amen.